Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for the privilege it is that we can come and listen to your word. We pray your spirit once again uh, to be working in our hearts and lives, that we might hear your word and respond rightly to you. Uh, may he strengthen me to preach your word in his power and his strength. May you be opening our eyes to show us Jesus, that we would love him more and appreciate the great salvation we have in him more and more, that we might be people who are so cognizant of your character uh, and your love that you have shown us in Jesus, uh, that we are compelled uh, to tell it to others. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had something good happen to you that you know that you didn't deserve? Ever said something, deserved to have something bad happen to you, and then it, it didn't happen? Uh, when I was a university student in Australia, I borrowed some books from the local library uh, in the area where I lived. Uh, and then after that, I moved to another part of the city. And for some reason, I can't remember why, I held on to those books and I moved and I never went back to the old place and never went back to the old library and the books were still sitting there and they sat there for, for, for more than a year. I held on to those books and you know, you, you, one day later you got fine. And then it just sat with me, you know, what am I going to do with this? Never mind, next time, next time, next time, next time, next time. So it's going on and on and on. And then I discovered they had this system where the local libraries were linked up to each other. Uh, and so if you borrow a book from this library, you can return it in that library. So, ah, okay, no problem. So I was living near town. The uh, next time I was in town, I dropped the library, I uh, dropped the books in the local library, but never went back to the original one. And then another year passed by. And it just so happens I was back in the area, and I looked, oh, and my conscience got the better of me. So I went back to the original library, prepared to pay a fine. I don't know how much it's going to be by now. I've been carrying it two or three years. And so I went to the library, took my library card, the, the lady there, punched my number in the computer, and she goes, oh, no, there's no fine here. Really? Oh, Nothing. <laughs> I deserved to pay. I had not. I, I really deserved. Oh, thank you, Judy. I, I really deserved um, to, to, to pay, and I really deserved to pay a big fine. Uh, I don't know why, but somehow or other, some reason or other, maybe they had, you know, hutang lapok or whatever those things they call, right? Uh, bad debts, and they, they cancelled it off. And when I turned up, nothing against me. I was so happy. Last night, we saw how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And instead, Jonah ran away from God. We saw that. We saw how he, he took a ship in the, in the opposite direction. Uh, how God sent a storm to attack the ship. And the only way the soldiers would be saved is, is that they threw Jonah overboard to die. And we finished last night with Jonah on his way down to a watery grave. And the soldiers... Offering, uh, giving thanks, uh, say, sales. Thank you very much. Yes, it's the sailors, not the soldiers, right? Um, offering sacrifices, uh, making vows to God. Jonah was getting what he deserved, isn't it? Right? He deserved to die. He had disobeyed God. He had rebelled against Him. He had not done what He refused to do. What God told him that is sin, and the wages of sin is death. Jonah deserved to die under the judgment of God. But do you know what happened? Well, we know what happened. God rescued Jonah even though he didn't deserve it. Verse 17 of chapter 1. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah faced the judgment of God. He came under the punishment of God. He should have drowned. And for all intents and purposes, he did. And just when things were hopeless, God in his mercy rescued him from his own judgment. He did it through this most unlikely of means. 
And he did it through something you think, what? <laughs> Have you ever heard of this before? Right? He did it through what seems to me as something can only be miraculous. Whether or not some scientist thinks a man can survive in the belly of some particular fish. Jonah not only experienced the judgment of God, but he then experienced the salvation of God. Saved through a fish. And it says that he was in the fish for three days and three nights. There he was. And from inside this fish, after he had been saved through it, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Jonah prays to Yahweh, his God. Remember, all this time he's been asked to pray, never pray. Now he's praying. And his prayer is there in verses 2 to 9. It's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And when you look at it, you realize actually it's made up with bits and pieces from the Psalms. Which shows us he knows his Psalms very well. Right? Not surprising because they were often used for singing in the temple. Uh, and many of you know the hymns and songs. Well, he knows the Psalms. Uh, and he's able to use bits and pieces of them, string them together for his own prayer. And that's a good example for us, isn't it? Using God's word in prayer. Uh, in fact, our old prayer book was, was full of it. Uh, uh, not surprising. And you know, in times of difficulty, when you're in a tight spot, like you know, when you're in the belly of a fish or something like that, right? <laughs> you, you may, you, you're often not in the mood to be terribly creative. Right? And you go back to what you know. Uh, the prayers and psalms and hymns and songs that are familiar. Uh, make sure that the prayers and the psalms and the songs that are familiar to you are good ones, yeah? Make sure you're learning good songs and good psalms and good, good, good hymns, right? Because those are the things that are going to come up then. And you can use bits and pieces of them, string the sentences together, and you use them in your prayers. That's what Jonah does. And look how Jonah prays. He starts his prayer by summarizing exactly what he was thankful for. I called out to the Lord out of my distress... And he answered me. Right? Jonah was in trouble. And so we know now that Jonah, as he's going down, he's finally had called out to the Lord, isn't it? He answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol, Sheol is a place where people go when they die under God's judgment. Right? Jonah was in grave danger, if you pardon the pun. He calls out to God out of a desperate situation. He's going out. just about... God hears him. God saved him. And the God who saved Jonah, even though he didn't deserve it, was the very same God who had been punishing Jonah. That's the interesting thing. And he recounts it again, poetically, from verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. You know? Now the soldiers are the ones, the soldiers, I don't know, I've got soldiers in my mind. Now the sailors were the ones, the mariners, right? the ones who, who threw him in. But, ultimately, it's God, isn't it? God is the one who did it. Right? The wind and the waves, they were, they were God's tools. He had been drowning under the judgment of God. Jonah knew that God had banished him. He's verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. And the last part, well, the commentators tell us it might be better translated. How can I ever see again your holy temple? He's been running away from God. Now he gets what, he's, what he asked for. Being driven from God's presence, he would never be able to go and worship God again. And meanwhile, he's still sinking. Going down, down, down. Verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. This is like, is it the idea is you're going down deeper into the grave, into death, into Sheol. I went to the land whose bars closed over me forever. One of our small groups yesterday wanted to know why all the bars were closed in the land that Jonah was going to. Right? Now, this is not about him not being able to get drinks, is it, Sam Dorai Singh? Right? Right. Think of bars on the prison cell. Right? Jonah goes down to the land whose bars close on him forever. That is, he will never get out. He has gone to the place of no return. And then, suddenly something happens. 
in verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When everything seemed lost, suddenly God changed the situation. Jonah was at the point of death. Some might argue that he'd gone past the point of death. And God brings him to life again. God snatches him from the grave and gives him life. Why? Not because Jonah deserved it. Because God is merciful. And because Jonah, just as he is losing consciousness, called out to him. Verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah had a deathbed experience. He called out to God at the last possible moment, just as his life was going away. Now what would you do if you were God? And I think most people would say, bad luck pal. Hang on, one, two, oh sorry, too late. Pagibullah. You sinned against me. You refused to do what I said. You ran away. You knew I was punishing you. You refused to repent. You knew the storm was You still refused to repent. And now you're just about to die. Just about to die. And you called to me for help. But you know what God did, don't you? God in His mercy forgave Jonah. That is the kind of God that He is. The kind of God who is kind to us even though we don't deserve it. The kind of God who would say to a thief on the cross beside Him, Today you will be with me in paradise. The kind of God who forgives and accepts people who repent and cry out to Him on their deathbed just as they're going to go. When it's too late for them to do anything for Him in return. He's a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God who relents from sending calamity. A God who would send His Son to die for you and me. The God of heaven and earth who forgives the sin of those who cry out to Him even when they do so at the last minute. Friend, do you need to repent and cry out to God? You need forgiveness for your rebellion and sin you've been putting off making commitment to Him? Please don't you wait for the last minute, like Jonah. God will hear you at the last minute. Yeah, we've seen that. But don't take advantage now. Huh? The more we say no to God, the easier it is to say no, isn't it? Who knows what we'll do at the last minute? Who knows what we can do at the last minute? And when the last minute comes, how will we know that it's the last minute? God is gracious and compassionate, but we mustn't be foolish enough to presume on Him. Those, verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols, or literally useless nothings, forsake their hope of steadfast love. You can forfeit grace if you're going to cling on to those idols what is it that keeps you from repenting and turning to God are there worthless idols vain nothings that actually you think it's so good so powerful you're going to cling on to it and then actually it's nothing money career recognition popularity it looks looks so solid and the moment you die you realize it's it's nothing Vain idols. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Don't let anything be the thing that you hold on to 
instead of repenting and turning to God. But if you do repent and turn to God, you know what the reception you'll get. No matter what you've done, no matter how late in the day it is, God's grace will be yours. God will treat you better than you ever deserved. Just like he did Jonah. Because that is the kind of God he is. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And how does Jonah respond to this salvation, to this rescue? Verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Jonah was saved from death and now he promises to respond. Like the pagan sailors who turned to God at the end of chapter 1, Jonah says, I will offer sacrifices to you. I will, I, I, I will do so with a voice of thanksgiving. I'm happy. I will keep my vow. I'm going to obey you. You have rescued me. I will follow you. I will keep my vow. I don't know what the vow is, but it's, if I was to hazard a guess, it would probably be something like, okay, if you want me to go to Nineveh, maybe I'll go. Because Jonah had experienced what God wanted Nineveh to experience. Jonah experienced God's salvation. Salvation, he says at the end of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Yahweh is the God who saves. He's the one who saved Jonah. If we are in Christ, He's the one who has saved us. Salvation belongs, salvation belongs to Him. He's the only one who saves. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Idols cannot save. Other gods are powerless to help. We saw that last night. Yahweh, He's the only Savior. And He's the only one who can save us from sin and death and Satan and hell. Salvation belongs to Him. Belongs to Him. He's got the rights on it. And if salvation belongs to Yahweh, then He can save whoever He chooses to save. He saved Jonah He can also save Nineveh. Nineveh didn't deserve to be saved, but neither did Jonah. The thief on the cross didn't deserve to be saved, neither did the Apostle Paul. You didn't deserve to be saved, and neither did I. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. And He saves those those who don't deserve it. And so after three days and three nights and thinking and praying in the fish, Jonah is released. He's experienced God's judgment and salvation. He's ready to be God's instrument to bring his message of judgment and salvation to Nineveh. He's ready to bear witness to those who don't deserve it. And so in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's, that, that's humbling, isn't it? You come out on the fish vomit. Well, so far, this morning again, we've rightly been looking at Jonah's life as an example for us. In a way, he's a negative example. In some ways, he's a positive example. We've seen from his example that God saves those who, who don't deserve it, who repent and cry out to him. But there's more to it, don't we? Because we saw last night that Jesus teaches the story of Jonah is not just an example for us, it's a pointer to him. Something much more deeper than that. Uh, come with me to keep, keep your finger in Jonah and come with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
the men, men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. See, the prophet Jonah is a sign, the sign, that points us to Jesus. And think about it. We talked about it first but last night. Think about it a bit more. Jonah nearly dies under the judgment of God. He's being punished for his own sin, sin of running away from God, but God rescues him. He spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Then God restores him to life on the land. Jesus really does die under the judgment of God. Not punished for his sins, but, but for ours. And then what happens? God rescues him. He spends three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then God raises him from the dead. As a sign to show that he's the, the fulfillment of God's promises. They're all coming together in him. If Jonah is the shadow, then, then Jesus is the substance. If Jonah is the illustration, Jesus is the reality. Jonah is the pattern, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the one greater than Jonah. We know that Jesus died under God's judgment, but for our sins, not for his. But he really did die. And unlike Jonah, he wasn't just resuscitated or rescued at the last minute. He was resurrected. Resurrected with a glorious, transformed resurrection body, never to die again. He's better than Jonah. A lot like, unlike Jonah, he's not a renegade prophet. He's, he's God himself made human who, who came to live and die and rise so that we could be reconciled to God. And his death for us is why God can save us even though we don't deserve it. He's better than Jonah. But he's the prophet like Jonah. Just higher. Coming back to Jonah, go on to chapter 3. We've seen God's, God's, um, God's, how do I say it? God's mercy right, to Jonah. We've seen that God shows himself to be the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love in his dealings with Jonah. And now he's going to show the same thing to Nineveh. All right, so beginning of chapter 3, the story starts again. Once again, the word of Yahweh comes to Jonah. In verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. What do we see here? We see, well... God gives Jonah a second chance, isn't he? Right? Isn't, I mean, isn't that, isn't that generous of him? Right? He, not only does he save him, not only does he rescue him from drowning, he could well have said, okay, look, I rescue you, but you know, you, this part of person, don't be my prophet, lah, get somebody else. Right? But God gives him a second chance to serve him. I just wonder, does, does anybody here who feels like they're a failure and Maybe you've repented and you've turned back to God and you think God can never use you again. Well, if that's you, please take heart. This God, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, gave a second chance to Jonah. He's a God of the next chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God's word to him was very similar to what he said before. Arise, go against Nineveh, call a message. And he says, look, call out against it the message I tell you. It's a message I tell you. Jonah's specific instructions to go to Nineveh and give them a message. Not any old message, but the message that God gives him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah was to faithfully repeat it to Nineveh. Right? That's what a true prophet does, isn't it? Proclaims the message God gives him. Well, what's Jonah going to do? Yeah, he was stupid enough to run away last time, but he's not completely crazy. Right? So he's not going to try that again. And so he does the right thing. 
3a, he rose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, the writer of the story is going to tell us a couple of things about Nineveh before he tells us what, what happens there. In the second half of verse 3, we read that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Right? It's an exceedingly great city. or Literally, it's a city great to God. It's a, a strange expression. Uh, it's the only place in the Bible it's used. Uh, it is a city that is great to God. That is, it's not just great because it's big, but because it's important to God. Uh, we'll hold that thought there until tomorrow, uh, because tomorrow we see where God's attitude to Nineveh comes to the, the, the front of the story again. Uh, the second thing we hear about it is that it's a three-day city. Uh, it says up the top there in verse 3, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, or if you look at the, if you look down the bottom in your, in your in your footnotes, it says a visit was a three days journey. Okay, uh, it again the commentators tell us it doesn't mean that it takes a three days to walk nonstop from one side of the city to the other. Um, uh, it, either it means it takes three days to do all the protocols involved in the visit of a city. Uh, but I think it's more likely it says it'll take three days for the message. If you're if you're if you're trying to get the message out to the population of the city, it would take three days to preach in different places to make sure the message gets out to the whole population. Does that make sense? It's a three-day city. Right? You want to reach the city, you want to send a message out. It takes three days to do it. Go around, it'll take you three days. Either way, Jonah starts what he anticipates is going to be a, a three-day process. Three-day mission trip, all right, to preach his way through the city. And so he goes into the city, verse 4, he goes into the city and he goes a day's journey. And he calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Very straightforward, all right, no beating around the bush, right? He'll say, okay, I'm going to give you a seminar on five steps to make Nineveh a better city. And step number four just happens to be repent of your sins and turn to God. Right? Just slipped in between democratic reforms and caring for your city environment or something. Right? <laughs> no, no. He's direct. He's straight to the point. You guys are in terrible trouble. Right? Your sin has been noticed by God and the wrath of God is coming upon you. I should know. I felt it. Right? You can't escape by running away. God rules the land and sea. This is what he says. You've got 40 days. Then it's time for judgment. Nineveh will be destroyed. God will bring his punishment upon you for your sin. Now, what would you do if a prophet who had come back from a watery grave, having experienced the punishment and salvation of God, warned you about his coming wrath? What would you do if you knew in 40 days' time, that's in just over a month, you would meet your maker. What would you do? Well, let's see what the Ninevites did. First half of verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. Now, God didn't speak to them in a loud voice from heaven, did He? God didn't say, Ninevites, 40 days and your city is going to be destroyed. He doesn't. He, he could have, right? And that would have solved all the problems about Jonah running away and all those things, right? But he didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to spoke, speak to them through the prophet Jonah. Remember, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah preached the message that God gave him. And when they believed the message that God gave him, when they believed the word of God that was proclaimed by Jonah, it simply says, they believed God. They believed God. Because friends, God stands behind his word. Whenever we proclaim the gospel, it's not people rejecting or believing us. It's, it's God. Whenever we read the Bible, it's not just Paul or Luke or Moses who writes. To, it's God. And then we look at Jesus, not just a man we're seeing. It's God. Sometimes people try to force a divide between God and His Word. 
They say, oh, you know, I, I, I believe God. Yes, I trust God, but I don't believe everything in the Bible. Well, we believe in God, but we don't believe in Jesus. Oh, yes, we love God, but the gospel that you Christians preach is something different. Cannot separate God from His Word. How I treat your Word is how I treat you. If I ignore your words, or I disbelieve your Word, then I'm ignoring or disbelieving you. If I twist your Word to make it something different from what you're saying, I'm disrespecting you. If I honor your Word and obey your Word, I'm honoring and obeying you. How you treat the Word of God is how you treat God. The Ninevites believed the Word of God. They believed God. And when they believed God, they they really did believe God. They, They responded in true faith. You can see that from the things they did. Uh, we read about it uh, uh, just now. Right? It's not just believing God as in intellectual assent believing. You know what intellectual assent believing is, isn't it? Right? And say, yeah, 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 I believe it's true, but I'm not really going to do anything about it. I just believe it's true. Right? It's like if a policeman came in now and said, look, terrorists have planted a bomb in the building. It's about to go off. And we go look at the credentials and say, mm, okay, yeah, we're, we're trustworthy. You're a real policeman. Okay, okay, we believe you. Uh, we just finish the talk first, all right? And then we have some small group discussions because that's really important. And then we'll sing a bit more, right? And after that, uh, we'll chit-chat a little bit. Uh, we'll make sure you sign up for the, uh, uh, for the treasure hunt. Uh, and then we'll all go outside because a bomb is here, right? If you really believe this word... What would you do? Get out! You run! Isn't it? Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Intellectual ascent faith. Oh yeah, okay, very good. We believe. Yeah. Now I've got to go back to work because, you know, I owe money on my credit card. I've got a quota to meet to get my bonus. All right. Uh, um, uh, Why don't you go and talk to my wife because she's more interested in these religious kind of things. I believe you. I've got no reason to doubt anything you say. I'm just being caught up for the next few months. That's intellectual ascent faith. That's not true faith. Yes, I believe Jesus died and rose again, but i got no problems with that. But I'm pretty busy right now. If you really believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you really believe that He's a judge of the world, then you would commit your life to serving Him. If Jesus is true, and there's no one more important than him and nothing more important than his kingdom. The people of Nineveh believed God. It wasn't just intellectual ascent. They did something about it. You can see their actions in the second half of verse 5. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What is sackcloth? Sackcloth is a black cloth. It's usually made of goat's hair used for making sacks. And fasting and sackcloth... It's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of deep sorrow. Right? People wore sackcloth and they fasted when somebody died. Right? Or when something disastrous happened. And the people of Nineveh were mourning. They were fasting and wearing sackcloth. Why? Because of their sins. They were saying, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really serious about this. And they're pleading for mercy. They're going into mourning. And the people who heard Jonah's message, they didn't just repent privately, did they? They told each other about it, so more and more people believed the message. Remember, city of Nineveh is a three-day city. Jonah doesn't need day two and day three. Because his message on day one has spread like wildfire across the city. And they're all getting involved in this fasting and more. And the word of God even reaches the king. In verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. The word reached the king. Um, it, it reminds us of the book of Acts, isn't it? Um, where we keep on hearing the word of God increasing, the word multiplying, spreading. The word is going around Nineveh. And the people spreading it are who? It's the repentant Ninevites themselves, isn't it? Must be. They are spreading the word of God. He even reaches the king who doesn't even meet Jonah. And what happens when it reaches the king? 
he arose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sits in ashes. He himself is touched by the word of God. He himself takes off his robes because before God he is nothing. He repents. He proclaims, verse 7, a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let no man, nor beast, nor herd, nor flock taste anything. Let them not eat or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and the violence that is in his hands. All right. His whole nation is to repent in sackcloth and ashes. Even the animals are not to be fed. All right? Seems a bit over the top to us, but the sentiment is, top on, is spot on, isn't it? Everyone. Everyone turn. Everyone repent. He makes official what the Ninevites were doing spontaneously anyway. He shows leadership because he leads in two further elements that are appropriate in responding to God's word. Two things they hadn't been doing because he called that everyone call out mightily to God. Okay, so far we've heard about repenting in sackcloth and ashes. Now he's calling everyone call out mightily to God. Call urgently. That's what it means. Call on God. Beg Him for mercy. And the other thing is turning from sin. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and the violence that is in his hands. Call on God. Turn from sin. You know why? Because verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will turn away from his anger. Who knows? King doesn't know. People don't know. In the, in the mouth of the king, this is a rhetorical question, isn't it? Who knows? We will find the answer to that question in the next chapter. But right now, it's rhetorical. Who knows? Maybe God will relent and turn from his fierce anger. Maybe he will have compassion on them. Maybe he will show love to them. There's no certainty for these Ninevites. Just a possibility, just a hope that maybe God will be kind to them that he'll take pity on them. That the God who created heaven and earth would, would, would be merciful as well as just. And they beg him for mercy. And what does God do? Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God was true to his nature. God is merciful and compassionate. That is what God is like. The Ninevites didn't know that. The Israelites did. Come back with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, God is speaking to Moses. And God is revealing himself to him. And he reveals himself in chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. See, there's both those things there, isn't it? God's justice, his punishment of sin, yet at the same time, he is compassionate and gracious. A few hundred years later, God would say something through the prophet Jeremiah. Come with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Because God tells the principle of how he works. Jeremiah 18, from verse 7. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do to it. And he goes on to say the other way around as well. It's easy for people like you and me to take all this for granted, isn't it? We know the character of God. We know that's what he does. But for the people of Nineveh, they didn't know. And sometimes we take it for granted and we fail to appreciate. But the God of justice is also a God of mercy. When God saw what they did, when they repented of their evil ways, he had compassion on them. We've seen God's mercy to Jonah. We've seen God's mercy to Nineveh. We've seen that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What about us in our world? What do we learn from this passage for ourselves and, and for our world? Well, friends, like Jonah, we have a message for this world from God, don't we? And like Jonah, we must tell as it is, even if it's hard. Last night he was a bad example for us. Today he's a good example. Faithfully proclaims the message. But, once again, as we've seen in this chapter, Jonah isn't really there for us to imitate. We're not the character that Jonah points to. The one that Jonah points to is Jesus. The one who experienced the judgment and death and yet was delivered to tell the story. The one who experienced judgment on a greater scale and was rescued in a bigger way. But who, like Jonah, faithfully proclaimed the word of God. In fact, he is the word of God. Like Jonah, Jesus faithfully proclaimed the message of judgment. Jesus actually spoke about hell more than anyone else in the whole Bible. Jesus, one greater than Jonah, is the one at whose preaching everyone ought to repent. He's the one who brings the message. Now, if Jesus is the one like Jonah, who are we like in the story? Who are we like in the story? Aren't we like one of the citizens of Nineveh? We are the people who receive the word of God, the word which proclaims condemnation for our sins, the word that condemns us and yet we must respond to it. And if we are believers here, then we are like one of those wicked people who repented, aren't we? We are like one of those people in the city who cried out to God for mercy. Remember remember what it says about the Ninevites in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. Remember that? Now, where else do you see that in the Old Testament? That's an echo of something earlier on in the Old Testament. Where was that? Anybody know? Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. God makes promises to Abraham and it says, Abraham believed God. Isn't it? It's coming up again. Abraham and the New... What's the New Testament going to do with Abraham? In Galatians 5, it's going to say Abraham believed God when he was, before, he was, before, he was, uh, uh, before he was circumcised. This is way before the people of Israel even existed. He was like he was one of the Gentiles. Like, same kind of position. He, well, the covenant with Israel is not there. Right? 
He hears the word of God. He believes the word of God. And it becomes a model for all those who hear the word of God and believe it and are saved by him. Including, New Testament says, the Gentiles. That's, that's us. Abraham comes to us who hear and believe the word of God and look at the Ninevites. They are in that, in that position as well. They hear the word of God. They believe God. They are being saved just, well, just like us really. Who are we like in this passage? We are like the Ninevites. And when we preach the gospel to people, yes, we're a little bit like Jonah, but if we're like the Ninevites, then we've got to think Ninevite as we think about the preaching of the gospel now. We are like the people who enable the word of God to spread quickly through that city. Remember? He was spread on by, by who? By the repentant sinners, isn't it? Jonah comes one day, three-day city, one day is gone already. Why? Because the people of Nineveh, the people, the sinners who heard the message, who believed God, are repenting themselves and passing it on. It goes even to the king. Sinners warning fellow sinners of God's coming judgment upon them. And we are sinners who call our fellow sinners to join us in repentance and faith and in believing God. The word we receive is the word we proclaim. Yes, and like it or not, it's a word of judgment. Right? We don't simply cover up that judgment word and say, the Ninevites, hey, you know, Jonah's really good. Come along. You know, it's really fun being repentant, being one of Yahweh's people. No, 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 no. This is a big problem now. Don't run away from judgment. Fellow sinner, fellow sinner. I'm not saying I'm better than you. No, I'm sinner, you're sinner. God, judgment is coming. But we've got this word. We call upon people. We say that somebody like Jonah, somebody like Jonah has come back from the grave. Someone has died and risen again in accordance with the scriptures. Someone greater than Jonah has come and warned us that there is a judgment to come. Don't know when that's going to be. But this world and everything is going to be destroyed. And those who remain in rebellion against God will, will face a fate worse than Nineveh. And will face God's punishment in hell itself. That's a serious message. Of course we don't want to give it, but we've got to, right? And as we do that, we have another message. A message that the Ninevites didn't get. Because the Word of God also tells us that God is a God of mercy. We can tell people what Jonah knew, but he didn't tell the Ninevites. We can tell people that God really is compassionate. Ninevites, they could only hope that he was. Maybe he is. Only hope that God would take pity on them when they called out for mercy. But brothers and sisters, we already know that God has taken pity on us. For just as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, Jesus is assigned to us. In Jonah, we see God's justice, that God punishes sin, that He's serious about rebellion. And in Jesus, we see that God punishes sin, that He's serious about rebellion. In Jonah, we see God rescues people, treats them the way they don't deserve. And in Jesus, we see God rescues people and treats them in the way they don't deserve. We see God's compassion and love because in the cross we see that God loved us so much that He took the punishment for us. That is the God whom we worship. The God who is gracious and compassionate, who has loved us so deeply in Jesus that He has given Himself for us. So how do we respond? We respond in faith. We believe the word that we get, comes through Jesus. We believe the message in the gospel. Not just intellectual assent. We really believe that Jesus is Lord. That He is the King and the Judge and that we've got to submit to Him. And our only hope in the face of the judgment to come is His compassion and mercy. And like the Ninevites, we turn from our evil ways. We call upon the Lord Jesus for the mercy that He only can give. And we trust in Him, the one greater than Jonah, who died and rose again for our forgiveness. And what the Ninevites could only hope for, we confidently receive. And... 
we then tell the others, our fellow sinners, about the danger of the judgment and the good news that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that everyone who calls upon the name of this Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have seen that you are a God of justice, that you are a God who is sovereign over the heavens and the earth, that you are a God who punishes sin, and we can never run away from that. But we also know that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we thank you that you have shown that in, in Jonah. You've shown that in the way that you punished him and you rescued him. We thank you that you've shown that most clearly in Jesus. In his death on the cross to take away our sins. In his resurrection to life again. And we thank you that through him we have this we have received the message of not only the judgment to come, but the wonderful forgiveness and salvation because of who you are and your character. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to always not take it for granted, but to really appreciate, rejoice in, be thankful for, and revel in the fact that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that you have shown that to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.